The following is brought to you in part by MFC Studios. The views of the show's host and guests do not necessarily reflect those of the management, owners, or staff of this radio station. And now, it came from the radio. And welcome once again to a came from the radio, the official the Big Apple Con. This is your host Mark Torres speaking. I'm here via virtual distancing for our 44th live show, courtesy of the East Meadow Public Library. And I'm here with none other than our very own Pronto Comics, Dominic Definition Mansferano. Why, hello, everybody. And we have our special guest who we're going to be talking to with and about. There's none other than inker, writer, creator, and all-around awesome guy, Enrique Lopez. How are we doing tonight, guys? So, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking to us and about Enrique in just a few minutes, which is awesome because he's here. Before we do that, we're going to have to take it away with the news. It's more than time! The news is brought to you in part by the fine folks at the Big Apple Con, which we are the official radio show of, celebrating over 25 years of comic bookness and pop culture stuff. For more information, go to www.bigapplecc.com. Their next convention, which is uh, scheduled for July 24th, is their Big Apple Silver Anniversary Prequel Expo. Uh, tickets are on sale now. And also from the fine folks at sci-fi.radio. That's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. I also want to give out shout-outs to our Patreons, of which there are Danny Grillo, award-winning director Jared Burrell, Kyle Horn, Millie Portez, Newsday Famous Dresden Media, Unjikun, Shadow Rabbit Art, The Huracan, and Yasmin Ray. You want to get your own little shout-out, go to www.patreon.com, look up the game from the radio in the search bar, and just for a dollar, you can get a shout-out on our show. <sighs> All right, so let's see. We'll start off with the one bit of sad news we have for this uh, week. Actress, model, and dancer Julie E. Kitten, spelled K-I-T-A-E-N, uh, better known as Tony Kitten, died recently. Uh, as of Isn't this recording, Tony Kitten. Sure, <laughs> I'm just reading it. I'm just, reading I'm just it. saying, like, did you Kitten? You know any... Yeah, Kitten. Okay, right? Tony Kitten from the White Snake videos. Yes, the White. Yes, okay, yes. Yeah. Um, she, again on my own. Uh, she died recently. As of this recording, no cause of death has been announced. Uh, Tony appeared in such films as The Pearls of Gwendolyn, In the Land of the Yik Yak, <laughs> Bachelor Party, Witch Board, Instant Justice, I like that, Instant Justice, Payback, and Death Tides, just to name a few. On the small screen, Tony appeared in such shows uh, slash TV movies as Malibu, California Girls, Capital, Glory Years, Santa Barbara, the new WKRP in Cincinnati, and the Kevin Sorbo series, Hercules, Legendary Journeys, and it's a real life, just to name a few. I, Mark, best known her as the voice of Annabelle on the Fox animated series, Eat the Cat. I loved that show when she played the, the, the girlfriend. It was awesome. Um, as a side note, as Dominic mentioned, she was also a famous dancer for many of the rock bands, White Snakes music videos back in the 80s. Um, Enrique, are you f- familiar with uh, her work? Uh, I remember her dancing on my hood. Uh, <laughs> and I'm mistaken there. Yeah. In my Dominic? hair band days, in my hair band days, I actually had a band during that time. So I did have the long hair, though you cannot see it anymore. It's no longer there. Yeah, you're here. You had hair once too. Everything, you know, 
as a drummer, you know, it was a rough life. Rough. Wow. <laughs> Dominic, you're saying you're also in a band there, Dominic? No, I just said I once had hair. <laughs> <laughs> it used to be long. <laughs> it used to be long. And then I realized I don't look good with losing my hair and having it long. It looks stupid. So I cut it. Okay. I did that, that thing you put in your hair for a while. And then they say, if you want to have kids, don't have anything like that. But then again, you know. Wait, you did the spray hair? You did the, the yeah, rumple that, peel? Yeah, the, the, that thing that, the, who was it, Carl Malone was like, my God, Carl, you got hair. You look good back. You know that ad? You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Let me give that a try. And then they, then you read the fine print. They say, it won't grow back here. I say, what the heck then, man? <laughs> wow. I don't um, even need the back. I need into the front, you know. And I told my wife, I just throw it over the front. She goes, no, you're not doing that. So I was like, um, okay. So let's see. She yeah. was a a young uh, fifty nine. Yeah, it was that. I read that, and it was like fifty nine. That is way too yeah. young. But she was she was not a young. She no. was young fifty nine, but she was not a young fifty nine. Right, right, yeah. She um lived a life. That's what they call lived, it. Lived, lived a life. hard life. I remember her from the Kevin Sorbo Hercules. She played Hercules' wife, uh, in before it became a series into when it was like tv movies yes yeah, she was in all the tv movies and then i think she actually had a couple of uh roles in a the series couple. yeah um you know because i think she got killed off and they did it of course in a okay for primetime tv way because you know in, in the myths hercules in a drunken rage kills his wife i don't think they put that into it yeah um so oh, but that's what i remember from. Wars got the idea all yeah, right. pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> Every idea George Lucas had, he just stole from it, <laughs> which is his genius. But anyway, that's what I remember from. And of course, you know, the White Snake video, mm-hmm. dancing on the hood of cars. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that was uh, that's it for the sad news. So, hooray, let's let's move on to our, our not as sad news uh, from the all it's not it, happy news. It's just not, <laughs> not as, sad. as sad. Yes. Yeah. From the all it took was a global pandemic department. The Golden Globes has been under fire recently for lack of diversity in its organization. For those of you who do not know or care for that matter, the group behind the Golden Globes is the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, which consists about 90 members from approximately 55 countries outside the U.S., hence the foreign part. Um, Executives say... We have engaged in much-needed deep introspection with the help of guidance of our outside advisors, experts in diversity and inclusion, and our media partners. Together, we have created a roadmap for transformational change in our organization. Um, Of course, Hollywood feels that this is too little too late. And not only has none other than Tom Cruise returned his awards for Jerry Maguire, Born on the Fourth of July, and Magnolia, but hot Scarlett Johansson also made a public statement against the association. Scarlett says, as an actor promoting a film, one is expected to participate in award seasons by attending press conferences as well as award shows. In the past, this has often meant facing sexist questions and remarks by certain members that bordered on sexual harassment. It is exactly the reason why I, for many years, refuse to participate in their conferences. Unless there is a necessary fundamental reform within the organization, I believe it is time that we take a step back from the Hollywood Foreign Press Association and focus on the importance and strength and unity within our unions and the industry as a whole. Whew. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's, I it's, 
it's mind-boggling. I mean, we uh, on the show, we've had such uh, discussions about our, our duality of award shows to begin with. And I find it interesting that because of what's been happening with the, with the, uh, the award shows for this year, they've been low-rated. Low now all of a sudden they're attacking the Golden Globes, where all the award shows are the same. I mean, if you look at it, oh, it they're it's all just—it's not about the the quality of the performance; it's about the who knows who and, and get the votes to get the awards. Yeah, the politicking. I mean, I don't. There isn't politicking, and the as I understand it, in terms of the way the Academy Awards are done, where they got a politic to everybody right. who can vote. In this case, you're just sort of trying to get the Hollywood foreign press specifically right these 90 people these 90 people people. for the rest of the world you gotta you know kiss up to them um but do they really (laughs) i'm assuming they do i'm assuming that well kissing up at least in the terms of answering these questions and and kind of having to deal with these stupid questions that they get asked which sometimes you can see these these like foreign press asking um celebrities borderline insulting questions and they have to like smile and nod and play the game. Right. Because they know that's going, they're being told by their agents and they have to do it. So that way the films they're promoting don't get panned during international, like, international. And, you know, because most of the money that Hollywood makes is now foreign. Right. Especially in Asia. So it's like a whole game that they have to play. I personally, I've always said this many times on the show, find like Hollywood extremely hypocritical. They're constantly complaining about one thing or the other, especially like civil rights or representation. But it's always, you know, like Chad, as we said um, about the uh, the, the Oscars, Oscars? Yeah. Chadwick Boseman, they did not decide to give him a posthumous Oscar. Instead, they gave it to Anthony Hopkins. Right. You know, it's like they they when Chadwick Boseman died, like how much outpouring of people were there and like, oh, this he was amazing. And I thought he was a very good actor, by the way. I'm not saying it wasn't just or deserved but here he died but they get they give heath ledger yeah right yeah and they don't give him one and he did amazing work just as good as heath ledger so i find it extremely hypocritical what are your thoughts on that Enrique? you watch the golden globes are you an award show fan no uh since i got out of advertising all that kind of stuff i really don't watch anything there anymore because they the ones I like never win or they're not nominated and um and it's it's to be honest you know right nowadays there was a time when I, I followed a lot of it I studied film in college um I I would follow the shows very well would go to all the movies make sure I watched every every film so I can make my own evaluations before Oscar time and stuff um there's just no time and and the second part is like um. You just never know what's really good or not anymore, as in because right now what I like probably is not going to be liked by other people or not going to be mainstream and stuff. Um, but I, I like the fact that you can sometimes find some really interesting films that you would normally not see show up. But then again, you know, it's like the the, uh, the Oscars have always been very uh, uh, political. Well, they don't just don't like to go with the blockbusters and some stuff is good, you know that. Mm-hmm. It, because it makes a lot of money, does not make it on less artful in its right. execution. Um, if that were the case, then when you look at it back, you know, The Exorcist really took in a lot of money for what its day was, mm-hmm. yet was recognized to some degree as a good as a, under the Oscar. So it's like, 
yeah, but Star Wars, no, no, leave that one out of there, you know. Yeah, people forget though. Star Wars, at least the original one, won a ton of Oscars, but it was all for the visual technical and, and yeah. But it's, it's an Oscar award-winning film. People do forget that about it. Yeah, um, nobody calls it an Oscar award-winning no, film <laughs> because it. You know what it is? It transcends the Oscars. It transcends that because it's so cultural. Just like even though we know, like The Godfather is an Oscar award-winning film, it kind of is beyond that as well, right? In a certain way, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, I agree with you. Like it's just they, they'll they'll. The Oscar, I think it's extremely out of touch, all the awards in, I mean, in many this, ways. This year, I had no idea of some of the movies that were even nominated. I was like, really? What is that? You know, when's this one? And it, it's just, like I said, it's just one of those things that I never watched the Golden Globes. I always found that to be like, okay, whatever, man. And because isn't that the one that they have like comedy separate from drama and all that kind of stuff? Like, yeah, and, and they do TV okay. as well. Yeah, yeah. so it's fine, whatever, you know. So, uh, on that I thought the world, best the best year though was when um, Ricky Gervais, Ricky Gervais just roasted the all of Hollywood. The whole place, yeah. That was the best, and he called him out on a lot of stuff. So like when when he said if if Al Qaeda would start a streaming service, you'd call your agents. So on jumping on. So speaking of the Golden Globes and continuing on that thread, from the jump on the bandwagon department. NBC has announced that they will no longer air next year's, that's 2022 for those keeping track, Golden Globes on their networks. Executives say, we continue to believe that the Hollywood Foreign Press Association is committed to meaningful reform. However, change of this magnitude takes time and work, and we strongly feel that this is the right time to do it. As such, NBC will not air the 2022 Golden Globes, assuming the organization executes its plans we are uh, hopeful we will be in a position to air the show in January 2023. Uh, to continue on this downward trend, Netflix has announced that they would not engage in any activities with the Hollywood Foreign Press Association until more meaningful changes are made. Um, so I think that the, the catalyst was the fact that it was one of the lowest rated shows of the Hollywood yeah. of all time. And they just decided to jump on a bandwagon and, and use this as an excuse to pivot away from them. I agree. It's like, oh, they're down. It's politically expedient that we can now finally get away from this or, or, or poo poo it or however you want to look at it. And it's like, okay, it won't cost us anything now. And now we'll look like virtuous. Yeah. It's what they would call virtue signaling. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. So so let's see. Um, It's like they jumped on, you know, a lot of the Me Too movement finally beat up on producers and people that have lost their power and were on their way down. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Um, so speaking of uh, value and money, from the NFT, that's for me, department, legendary comic artist Neil Adams recently announced that he's taking his artwork to the NFT world. Neil says, I am not aware of any decision from DC or any publications to monopolize the markets of NFTs. Comic publishers can put out editions in an NFT format because they own the copyrights to the reproduction of the artwork. And what I am selling is an NFT of the original artwork, which is two different things. The original art is owned by the artist who creates the page and the characters. The reproductions are owned by the publishers because the publishers purchase the rights to copy. They do not purchase the original art. Um, Enrique, as, as an artist, are you aware of this NFT craze that's going on? I do, and I started talking to my daughter, who's mostly a digital artist, and I'm saying that, you know, this is probably something we should look for in her line of work more than mine because I still do traditional inking. I still do it in the pen and paper kind of format so i actually have stuff like 
all my all the work I did for Nasser Fair Tales, all the other anthologies, anything that I drew is actually on paper that I can actually show it at a show. And well, that sounds right. Show it at the show. Show <laughs> it at a convention, and um, and people can purchase it now. The other day, I don't remember the artist who mentioned this. Okay, but it is a colorist that was given a desist order from one of the major two because he was trying to sell his digital coloring of a page that he did for a certain comic. And his explanation was, why is it that the penciler can take the same artwork and sell it as an original out there? The inker can take his inks and sell it as an original out there yet because I colored it digitally, I'm being told that it's not, and that I'm violating the, the rights, yet it is my original form that I'm selling. So that's an interesting point huh. that's gonna mm-hmm. be out there because as we keep moving more towards the digital side and a lot of anchors out there are doing stuff digitally, they are doing it. So they don't have that extra artwork like I do right now that I can go out there. Now, sometimes I will do digital enhancements I will add certain colors. Like, for example, I did a variant cover right now for uh, Amerikaju coming out number two in June that I did all the inks in traditional except the little ghosts he had on the bottom. I went into the computer to do it digitally because I wanted to give some little lighter tone and a lot of darker in front and back to give it more depth. So I went in there digitally to do it that way. Um, so that full piece is a combination, but other people do it fully, complete work, pencils and digital colors and everything. So where do we draw the line? Now, like I told my daughter, if you own the property, it is your babies, it's your original OC, it's your own comic, you got no problem. It's when you do the work for hire that it could become that other issue because sometimes you go like, well, look, I'm not gonna, I'll do this for you at this price because you're starting off, you know, somebody says, look, I want you to help me with this book, but I can't pay you much. Okay, fine. But I always tell them, I am free to sell my work, right? And he goes like, yes, yes, no problems. And fine. And even for artists who work with me, when I write stories, I tell them, if if the compensation is not fine, know that you, as the penciler, you have free reign to do whatever you want with that artwork as to selling the original. You can't reproduce it as another comic separately, but you can go out and sell it. Um, so I think we're looking at something really interesting up there. I got another friend of mine who actually, I think he put up about a hundred NFTs, but that is his original 100% character. He, he created of all these, uh, this is uh, John Ottinger. He does these comics called the Dwyors and he's got all these little characters. They're actually available as little gifts and stuff on Facebook. You can actually do, if you Google it in there, you'll find them in there. You can buy them to use them as part of your like replies. Um, But the thing is that he's putting up artwork up like that, but he owns those. Those are, that is his IP. So he's got the problem. But somebody like Neil Adams, I mean, it's like, he's going to probably say, well, if in his case, he probably still has the original artwork. Right. So I don't know why he would be doing an NFT to begin with. Well, it's because uh, NFTs make a big bag of money. I think that's that's, that's why. Yeah. Hey, we really good reason. Follow, follow where it's going afterwards, you know, like, okay, this person bought it, and then now this other person bought it. And from what I'm told, because I haven't done my research completely, is that you get paid 
the artist mean every time it moves. Oh, I did so, not know that. So let's say Nike sell mine now for a thousand, but then Dominic comes here and he says, I sold it to you, Mark. And then Dominic says, Oh, I really like that. And you go, oh, I'll give it to you for two grand. What he buy, he pays you two grand. I get another cut of that one. That'd be so, awesome. And so I'm thinking that's what I've been told. That's why it's really lucrative. And that's why it's really interesting how this can work. And like I said, it is probably the future because I always was wondering what's going to happen to the industry and the artists who are digitally 100%. Right. Wherever they're going to get to. And it's like, even my daughter, she goes to the point like, like she can do prints and she can do stuff to put there, but she doesn't have any original stuff to go like for her story for not the first deal. It's all digital. Hmm. So yeah, she can print out pages of it and say, these are nice for you to buy, but you're not buying the original because you never did, drew it on a pen and paper like I did mine. Wow. So I've told her, those you can sell as an NFTs probably. So that's going to be a bigger solution for the fine art market as well for the artists. There was a um, documentary that came out years ago on HBO where they were discussing the how the art market, you'll buy a piece from an artist, then they'll hold it for a while, let it accrue in value, then resell it. And the market, the making of the money is in the reselling. But the original artist is completely screwed out of that money. It's now whoever the collector was. And a lot of these pieces get like pushed around as their own form of currency. People will trade art, you know, because it's of similar value or they'll like, I have a Picasso. And if you want this Picasso, I want three of your, I want a David Smith, a, a Frankenthaler, and a Jeff Koons, and they'll they'll swap for it. So if you have this now as an NFT, and you can still always get a cut of it, that'll help any artist try and get more, can retain more of their rights. You know, like that, if when you think about it in every other format, you know, like yeah, like you buy people like for example, like they buy. You can look at it from a different way. You can look like the retailer who sells you the comic book, but then you turn around and get it slabbed, and all of a sudden it goes up in price, then you resell it. Right. right? But DC doesn't get another cut of that. It's already right. been done. And But like an artist, you know, if I sell an original piece of mine for, let's say, 50 bucks, and somebody else comes on and goes to eBay, and somebody's willing to pay 200 bucks for it, and he sells it, he makes that 150 I don't get a cut of that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the way it's always been. But this other way, it's like... Yeah. If that's available, it, it could be an interesting uh, change in the game. You know, life. it's funny. You mentioned uh, DC and uh, slapping a book. Um, that's actually for our last bit of news. So you must be psychic, MEK. From the wholly perceived value Batman department, <laughs> one of the three known Ashcan copies of Action Comics number one recently sold at an auction for $204,000. Those of you who don't know, or care for that matter, an Ashcan copy originated from the 1930s and 40s when comic book publishers used these quote-unquote small, uh, discardable black-and-white, essentially proof-of-concept pages stapled together uh, to register the trademark for titles and logos that they planned to publish. This would send a copy of the Ashcan along with a trademark application to U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Of note, there are only two other known copies. One is locked up in D.C.'s vault, and the other copy was sold for $50,000, just $50,000 in 2010. An ash can. Ash cans, man. Like, the things I, that we would get in, at, and, and toss literally into, into trash. 
I remember ash cans oh, yeah. in the 90s. I remember that was a big thing. And they started to sell. I remember that distinctly because uh, what was it on QVC or whatever, the home shopping network, and they were trying to sell comics because everything was was worth money. And they were starting to sell the ash cans. I remember that. And I was like, what the hell is an ash can? And like, yeah, it's not even anything. It's just some some images and some scribbles. And it's supposed to be worth something. I remember not that. really. This yeah. magazine would always include like in their little baggy things that would be like a little ash can or something coming out and little freebies and stuff you know and you're talking about that qvc you know i'm looking right up here i got uh in, in my video here i got this, the comic book the legacy of superman um i originally bought that one through QVC. did you really you were one yeah, of those guys it was, signed, it was signed originally only by uh kurt swan and dan jurgens but since then i've gotten almost a whole team of that comic book shown in there i got art adam ruby steen um well jerry always already in there so they're signing it all over the place so There's wait so you you're up at three o'clock in the morning you're like i must uh, buy that yeah and i was one of those like yeah yeah it's cool. it's gonna be selling out so yeah wow i did that once i had to do it at least once yeah i've never met anybody who's actually put a comic book on qvc before yeah, oh wow there you <laughs> go but the funny thing is one of my buddies from college was the director he called Dude, we're gonna put this one up. Go, All right, let me know. This time, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew I had some inside scoop. Wow, so that's awesome. For it. <laughs> for At least it was a comic book and not like stocks because they could put you away for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so with that, uh, that's it for the news. So with that, we're going to take our break. We'll be right back with it came from the radio. Hi, you've heard my voice open and close the show. Now we want to hear your voice. If you have a business or product, you can record a commercial here. We offer 30 and 60 second spots. For more information, contact Mark at MFC underscore studios at hotmail.com. If you had any honor, you would listen to sci-fi.radio, the sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. Kapla! This is Xenia Seberg, who played Zev on the show Lex, and you're listening to It Came From The Radio. All this month, Cosmic Comics and Games of Baldwin is your source for the Marvel Comics Summer Events. From Heroes Reborn to Star Wars War of the Bounty Hunters to the X-Men event, the Hellfire Gala. We have what you need, and you can pre-order everything to make sure you get your comics. Cosmic Comics is a proud sponsor of this summer's Long Island Tropicon, coming in June. Cosmic Comics and Games is open Wednesday, noon to 8, Thursday, 2 to 7, Friday, 2 to 7, and Saturday, noon to 6. That's Cosmic Comics and Games, located at 846 Merrick Road in Baldwin. Thank you, and stay safe. This is Brian Downey, Stanley Tweedle from the TV series Lex, and you're listening to It Came From Radio. Looking to sell your entire comic collection? Have that one key issue you're trying to unload? Well, look no further than Royal Collectibles, your friendly neighborhood comic book shop. Buying and selling comics, toys, and merchandise with experience in the industry for over 30 years. From Golden Age Comics all the way up to the present, they want to buy your stuff. Reach out to them online at www.royalcollectiblesonline.com or give them a call at 718-793-0542. That's Royal Collectibles in Forest Hills, Queens, New York. 
Hi, this is Ellen Dubin, star of Lex, and you're listening to It Came From The Radio. Keep listening. Hey guys, this is Christy from Custom Cakes by Christy. I want you to know that I'm here for you. I'm keeping my private kitchen open for any needs your family may have. I've been focusing on bread, soups, muffins, quiches, and other basics, but I'm still accepting dessert orders as well. Please follow my Facebook for immediate pickup items. Private message me for custom orders. Custom Cakes by Christy, I-N-C, K-R-I-S-T-Y. Text me at 631-606-8166. Michael McManus. I played Kai on Lex. You're listening to It Came From The Radio. Comic Book Depot has been in business since 1993. Your one-stop comic book shop for comics, gaming, and collectibles. The Comic Book Depot club membership is $15 and gets you 15% off new comics, back issues, graphic novels, and 10% off comic book supplies. Located at 2847 Jerusalem Avenue in Wontaw, New York. Contact us on Facebook for curbside pickup because new comics are back. For more information, give Alan a call at 516 221 the comic book depot. This is the amazing question. And you're listening to It Came From The Radio. Hello friends, this is Ranger Rob and I'd like to talk to you about dog poop. That's right, dog poop. I invented Ranger Rob Pet Poopy Bags, a very large bag with handles. My bags support large and small dogs and smell like lemon. They are strong and affordable. You can find Ranger Rob Pet Poopy Bags at Amazon. They come in sheets or in rolls and come with a dispenser. Once you try Ranger Rob Pet Poopy Bags, you'll never want to go back. So come join us. Go to Amazon and try Ranger Rob Pet Poopy Bags today. Hey everybody, this is Todd McFarland of the Record Setting Spawn comic series. And if you're looking for any kind of cool conversation about creators, about entertainment, about all that good stuff, you go to It Came From The Radio. You're listening to the right spot. Hello, radio listeners. What are you thinking? We want to hear from you. What's working for you? What things would you like to hear more about? Write us your thoughts. Or you can buy us a pizza. Just go to our website, www.itcamefromradio.com, and click on the Buy Us a Pizza link. Leave your comment there. And we'll read them on video. Hi, this is Sue Lee from Face Off Season 2. You're listening to It Came From The Radio. My neural net processor is linked to sci-fi.radio. It's sci-fi for my Wi-Fi. The more I listen, the more I learn. Now, back to our show. And welcome back to It Came From The Radio, the official of Big Apple Con. This is your host, Mark Torres, speaking for our 44th. Live show in front of a live studio audience, courtesy of the East Metal Public Library. Uh, that's www.eastmetal.info, where they have tons of programming um, throughout the entire month. And they have a convention coming up on the May 14th and 15th. That's the MCON, which will be the second virtual MCON Anime Fest. And um, also our show, which is on the second Wednesday of every month. So for, all, for, for more uh, programming, go to www.eastmetal.info. I'm here with uh, Harry on Ponder Comics, Dominic Defenish Manspano. Hello. And our super special guest, Enrique Lopez. Hello. So, Enrique. Yeah, what? what? How okay. did you get involved in comics? Was that something you wanted to do when you were a little kid, or is that something you decided to do later on in life? Well, it definitely wasn't to get chicks at that time, so it definitely was not the way. <laughs> you know, but um, 
No, actually, I was always interested from very young age in the writing and drawing. Um, mostly the writing part. I was always writing when I was a, a child. I would watch like Speed Racer, the Wacky Races, and then I would basically go to my first grade class and then write a story, adding all the my friends, making them the characters. And it would, then I would remember that the first grade to learn how to write, they would give us these big sheets. And on top, there was this big space. And I would always draw into it like a scene from the story. And then I would put the rest on the bottom and the back. So I've always been doing that from a young age. Um, I, in college, in high school, I, I, I would do a lot of work on my own. I was influenced a lot by Neil Adams, like John Buscemas, uh, Barry Windsor Smith, uh, Jim Starlin, uh, Mike Grell. And, um, and I wanted to involve, get involved in that area. Of course, my parents were saying, no, you're going to you're going to starve and please God go into business and stuff. So they didn't let me go into the arts when I wanted to go into college. And uh, so I ended up doing the business route. I went as, and first as an accountant, then I went into marketing because I figured, wait a minute, marketing can actually draw stuff in here and do stuff in advertising. So I kind of skewed my way into that area. And, uh, but all during the college years, I was always involved in doing some artwork and, uh, writing more stories. And uh, once I got out and started working in advertising, uh, I would de work in the art departments of different areas. And then there I would help get with other friends, other artists to try to create our own books. Now, it's so funny because now you, I'm probably talking, oh, so when you go, people I would say that, well, oh, did you go to Kickstarter, Indiegogo? No, no, back then when I was there, either you worked for the big two or you pretty much starved and there was nothing else. Uh, there was a bit of dark horse was still just peeking around the corner uh, with their alien stuff. So they were just doing that. Um, there was a little bit of first comics out there and that's about it. You know, there was not a lot of options. So the last time I attempted to get something done, I mean, I presented to DC, to DC and Marvel uh, a version of my crossover before they eventually did them uh, of Batman versus Punisher and with the Kingpin and Two-Face being the characters, um, the villains in that. And I did, we, a buddy of mine and the uh, one of the artists on advertising, we actually, in the agency, we actually did the whole thing. He drew it, I inked it, and uh, and I wrote it. Uh, but no, uh, they said no. Uh, my last attempt was in 94 when I pre presented in New York a pitch to Dark Horse. And they also passed because they were thinking about going into doing regular sleep uh, monthly. So that's when it turned out into their format. They missed with Ghost and all these other characters came up, Bob Wire and all that stuff. But I tried to come in here with another concept and they said no. So I basically in 94 decided that's it, I'm done. Um, before that, uh, in 92, now you understand, I was living in Puerto Rico at that time. Now Puerto Rico was like, really, there's not, there was no comic book scene down there at all. Um, to give you an idea how it was, there was one convention. We did it in 92. Uh, there were only three three artists in the alley, three. You had this guy, myself, and I was very lucky to be sitting beside two very great artists, Dave Sim and then uh, Jeff Smith. That was it. <laughs> that's, 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 the that's enough. <laughs> that's enough. And uh, and I got I still have my frame the sketch that each of them made one for me and I made one for them. So it's like one of those weird things. And um and the other day I actually caught up with Jeff and I was saying like, dude, I still remember doing this show. And it's ninety two. 
that's when bone was just starting out and stuff and uh so that was basically it in 94 so in 94 i hung it up and it wasn't until like three years ago that my uh my young, youngest daughter decided she wanted to explore art as a career she had been doing cosplay she had been doing she went here when we moved to new york she uh, well, first of all, in, in fifth grade, she in fourth grade, she was put into an art um, uh, gallery because of her work at fourth grade level. Wow. Uh, and wow. then um, she was and she was in this art show with fifth graders and sixth grade. She was a fourth grader. Um, but then she focusing on doing cosplaying and sewing. So when she when we got to New York, we took her to take lessons at uh, sewing lessons and mood. Uh, and she learned a lot of that stuff there. She was drawing the sketches to do the cosplay, but then she started to enjoy doing the sketches more than doing the, the sewing. And that's where she started to become more in tune with the art. So she, so I told her, look, if you really want to do that, I got to start taking you to com comic shows so you can see the world as it is. Um, and that's where I ran into uh, people like Billy Tucci and Mark McKenna, which I had known way back and met long years ago and um they were like dude where you been or like uh, <laughs> advertising <laughs> and stuff like that so uh and mark was the first one to tell me dude you should you should get a table here you should be back here don't come sit sit there you know what's the worst that can happen i go i don't know man i don't know and it was to be honest he like about a week later he calls me up and says look i'm doing a guest appearance at this library here in new jersey they got tables available just get one. And I mean, my daughter and I, all we did, we had, I had some inks from a buddy of mine, uh, Paul Abrams had given me some sketches to do some inking on. So we did our in-house, we printed out some little mini prints here. We did our own, scanned them ourselves and did them all here. Um, and we went to the table. We had no, no business cards, nothing. And we just went there and we had a blast and she started to see how it works. So for the first year back, I did in 2019, I did 36 shows in a year. Wow. So when they said to go out and do them, I guess I really did. Um, and, well, you were, you, were, you were planning for the, the pandemic that was coming. Oh, it was like one of those things. I mean, was, there was one week and, and Keith Williams tends to be one of the, he tends to be next to me in most of these shows. Um, now he's been like going all, all, on, all over the place now as well. So, um, there was one weekend, the one week we were like on Friday, we were doing a show at the, at the FIT. Saturday, we went over to Brooklyn to do a show. And then on Sunday, we went to Long Island to do a show. So that weekend, we were like in three different places and we're like dead by the end. That's <laughs> like, it was wild to do those shows like that. Um, so, but so wait, the Friday show was at FIT. Was that Diversity Comic Con? Yes, it is. That's what it was. Yeah. Ramon yeah. Gill, he, he's been our art director at Pronto. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I met Ramon there for the first time. And, uh, and uh, he got, I, I did last year's version of the uh, online. Mm. And, uh, and I did, that's where I actually met uh, Sammy Castillo there. I mean, was there in that one? No, not there. It was another show. No online, but yeah, I did that one, and then we met. We met afterwards at the after party and stuff. But um, I'm kind of disappointed that this year's also is going to be apparently online as well, which kind of tells me that maybe FIT will not have full full school there again for my daughter to start. So, 
Uh, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it was a great show. I had a lot of fun, uh, but that was a really rough week. <laughs> it's like three days and, and it was like three packing up, packing, setting up, packing up. Next day, set up, pack up, set up three days. That's, it gets to you. So, but yeah, it was a great experience. I, I learned which good shows are there and which are not so good. And uh, experiences of uh, what, how, what to expect, what not to do, what to do. Like, don't set it up on really good holidays. Don't want to do that. I did a show that was, that I got the double whammy on. And that was a mistake. I said, I'm not doing it again. The Saturday of the show, free comic book day. Mm. The Sunday of the show, Star Wars day. So, <laughs> no. How many people you think were at the show? <laughs> it's like, so it was like one of those things. Like, oh, we're not doing that mistake again. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it was a lot of learning. So last, and last year before the pandemic shut it down, I did one show in Brooklyn. And then I was going to go all across the country. I was going to go as far as the, I was going over the Missouri line. I was going to go over to Ohio and Midwest up to Michigan. All that time. I was going to cut the States. I was going to go all the way through across to Florida, Connecticut, New Hampshire, everywhere. And then of course we all know what happened. So this year it's like just seeing whichever ones I'm being told, Oh, this was gone. Okay. This was gone. All right. This was postponed. So, but I still got one next week in a few weeks in June. So at least we're going with that. So where is that? So you going to promote it? Okay, the, it's June fourth through the sixth. It's the Garden State Comic Com- Comic Fest. It's going to be at the Mill. It's a mall in uh, Elizabeth, New Jersey. It's it's like one of those tourist trap malls. You know, it's really next to the airport. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's great because you go. It's near the airport. You know, you're in here. You're like for three hours. What are we going to do? Oh, let's go buy stuff. And they go to, <laughs> and they got shuttles to take people there. So I mean. It happens. So it's a good, it's a good place. And they're like, I mean, I did one in the, in the beginning of the year and another mall that's further north. I don't remember exactly where it was, but we, they took over the, um, the model sports groups, two floors and it worked really well. I did really well there. So this one's going to be in another similar mall in a nice area, another section of the, of the, of the mall. So, I mean, it's, it's, it worked fine the first time. So it should work fine the second time. That's I mean, uh, Dave O'Hare, right? That's yep, Dave. Uh, that's Dave O'Hare's uh, convention, right? Garden State yeah. Convention. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Right, and uh, and I got a he gave, I got a good spot, <laughs> and uh, and of course Steve was uh, Keith was next to me. We had Larry Stroman next to me, Camp Chris Campana, uh, Landanovich was there, so we were we had my little crew in that area, um, and I, so I'm looking forward to the Garden State one. Then after that, I'm I'm heading over to Dayton, Ohio. For the gem city um and then after that we'll get another small break and then that's in june yeah and then uh no that's in july that's in july right yeah july then i go one week to the gem city then the next week i'm in connecticut for terrific on so wow. <laughs> yeah that's back those are back to back and then i'm hoping for september and october to have if i make it into florida supercon and then uh i got cincinnati coming up and baltimore but i I haven't got my invite to the Big Apple yet, so I got to check with those guys. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Uh, Dominic, you have a question for NDA? And I don't have any questions because, like, I know exactly what he's talking about in terms of like trying to pick out the con and like you do a con, and you're like, I'm never doing this con again, and you want to drive around. It's like I just my hat's off to you for even want thinking that you would want to go all across the country. 
it's something it, I wish I could have done. And at the same time, I never would want to try to do. <laughs> it's like, to be honest, to be honest, yeah. if I could, uh, the main motivation for that is obviously the situation being as it, it is coming mm-hmm. off 2020, it's going to be interesting to see what happens down the line. But mm-hmm. it got to the point here in the New Jersey, New York area, there was a con every weekend. Um, not only one, probably multiple ones. So it was getting to the point that if I went to all of them in the area, people were just like, well, Kike's here again. Anything new? Not, <laughs> don't think so. So it, it, people start to see us, see me a constant. I think, look, they need to miss me a bit. You know, so I need to find new areas. And I decided to do shows out. Now, the first the first year in, in the, of, the, of the 36, I actually did uh, a few... The furthest one I did that year was in Akron. Now, Akron, Ohio. And people say, why do you want to go to do a show in Akron, Ohio? It says, because there's nothing there. What's next to it? <laughs> Cleveland. Really? The mistake by the lake? Uh, so it was, a, it was a great show for me. I mean, one of the most profitable shows I, I did in the year. Why? Because they're hungry. They want to see stuff yeah. and they don't get it. One down here... The East Coast is pretty spoiled because there's shows all the time. It's like, as you can see, like, for example, if somebody on this show, on a show this week says, look, um, we got, who's coming in? Uh, John Byrne. We'll forgive you a big name. John Byrne's going to be here this week. Right. But you know he'll be here in the area again in three weeks ago. Like, well, this week I'm going to go to the party. In about two weeks, I'll go check him out over there. So right. you don't need to go to that show, the first one. And, the, and if these same artists are going around all the constantly and stuff, you get to the point of, well, I've already seen him or seen her, you know, you don't need to go there. So it, it really becomes an interesting cha- challenge to figure out where you want to be at and which shows to go to um, because there's only so much money to go around. You know, it's not like I'm being invited. I'm getting comps. You know, I got to pay for these tables. You know? uh, so it, it adds up. And that's one of the things I try to teach my daughter is like, you got to remember that you're making money to probably pay your next table yeah if, if, and if you can come up to the point that you're making enough that you can hey i got a little extra this week and then you're going to figure out oh wait i got to use that to buy my next pens my next pencil my next stuff and so all of a sudden you're just like a six a very uh vicious cycle you're just you're just doing shows to cover and that's where you got to sit down saying how much of this is producing me new views new commissions and new stuff and that's what it i did the first one because nobody knew who i was Nobody had any idea who was this guy. Who's this Kike guy? What's his guys? What's his gag? What's his what's his bag? And I needed to be out there a lot so people could see me. Now some people see me, some people know me, and now I, I can reel it back a little bit. That I re- I made a decision this year. Obviously, it hasn't been a big deal because of the situation. That I wasn't going to do one day shows for a while. I was just going to go to bigger shows three days to make it like I'm going to set up once and not worry. I have to set up for another few days. Like the constant up and down. Um, it is nothing against those shows. Some of those shows are really good. I've done really good to me, but it's just the grind of constantly going there. And the and they're always the same artists most of the time because they're like groups. You know, these the ones who do the one one day shows are usually like these individuals, and he has his group of guests, and they're constantly almost always the same. Well, you can go to one, and I'm pretty much I'm going to get everybody because then the same people are following them all over the place. So. And, and, and like I said, it's a, it's a business decision for everybody. Uh, and I'm making that one to me. You know, I'm just trying to make 
as much of an opportunity for myself, but also trying to get to the point that, you know, I just, I don't want to be constantly doing that. Like I said, if you want set up and go set up and go set up and go every day, you know, it's just, it, it winds me down. You know, I am 55. I'm still pretty good, but you know, it, it, it wears you down after a while. You know, it's a long day. So speaking yeah. of making money and your daughter, because uh, that's how I, I met you. I used to, as I used to, it's funny I say that now. I used to go to every single table as I could, take out a picture. And I remember when I first met you, I thought it was your daughter's table. And I was like, oh, no, it's his table. So I thought that was very interesting. But you you have your own little project you want to talk about. Was it Indiegogo or Kickstarter? You have a, something that's going on right now. Okay, really coming out on the May 31st, I am part of a beautiful project called Not So Fair Tales. We're basically, this is the brainchild of John Englefield II. He worked with me. We participated in the same projects and the same anthologies as Stupendous and Horrendous, which is like I was telling him in the back, in the backstage, is that by meeting certain people and getting involved in certain projects, it's opened up opportunities for me to get involved in new projects. Um, and this is one of those. I met him through Horrendous, basically. And he said, look, why don't you come onto this project and, and write? want to bring something up. So I, I pitched him about four stories. He accepted three of them. Um, but I'm just one of 19 creative teams, you know, then these are well-established, some of them are well-established uh, players already in the, you know, like they got Brent Fowler, Russell Norty, um, Gre um, Greg Weber, uh, Jeff Weber, excuse me. Um, there's so many great artists here involved that it's un canny the amount um if you go now your listeners or anybody's listening go to notsofairtales.com you can get a fee a free 40 page preview that will give you a nice little taste of what it's coming um because it has a variety of very different styles and writing in there um just to give you an example of, of what is in, involved in this project this project the cool thing about it it is uh it's gonna be a hardcover 172 pages, 19 different teams. It's all full color throughout. The, and one of the things I liked about the project and, and one of the reasons I decided to do it was that all the art is ready. This is not one of those little Kickstarters you go like, oh, we just want you to help us and we'll get everything to do. No, I hate those, you know. Uh, I know sometimes it's not possible. They want to sell the dream and then they come in and start doing it. But most of the time, they have like a lot of the stuff is ready, and then they go like, "Okay, we're just gonna need to do coloring, and that's it." Those projects I'll I'll, I'll sponsor, but other ones are like, "You gotta." I'm, there's some stuff I've been waiting for like two years or three years to get done. It's like ridiculous. This one I love that it's ready. You're gonna all you're gonna do is once it's funded, once we wait for the money to come in, it's going off to the printers, and you're gonna get it, and it, it's gonna be done. And that's the coolest part of this. Um, there will be a 72 hour deal early for early uh support you're gonna get uh it's gonna be about forty dollars the the investment for this book but you'll probably get it if i'm not mistaken for 35 for the first 32 hours shipping i believe is included already in the united states if you go international you gotta pay a little more for that it's shipping there but like i said it has some great uh writing in there the stories are absolutely fantastic and um uh, i'm thinking there's some in there I mean, the Brent Fowler one is done by this artist, Cesar Caballero, if I'm not mistaken. You look at it, it looks like you're watching the, the storyboards for a Studio Gilby movie. I mean, it is that absolutely fantastic. The colors are off the chart. Um, 
there's so Angela Odling is in there as well. I mean, and uh, Ryan Karoth is in there. It is a really a treasure trove of great writing and art. It's great. And when you think about, well, 40 bucks, yeah, but you're getting 172 pages of solid book. You know, it's not little flimsy. It's a hardcover. They're going to be not, you're going to get a nice, nice little map inside, which was designed by John in that you will see where every story takes place on the map. You know, like you go, oh, story, Enrique's story of uh, Jaco takes place in this part of the world. And this one's over in this part of the world. Uh, so it's a lot, not little extra stuff in that part there. Um, but like I said, this is a project that we basically decided that we're taking the fairy tales that other people love and know and giving them our own twist. Now, some people may not know or, or forget that some fairy tales in their origin, their stories were not that great at the ending. You know, the endings were not happily ever after kind of stuff. So we're pretty much doing some of that in here. Other ones are, are pretty much a reinventing of those stories. Like, for example, my daughter is doing a reinvention of Cinderella. Um, and hers is called a dress. You know, she, in her case, she wrote, drew, lettered, colored, did the whole thing. I'm only there as her editor. Because <laughs> like, I went, I'm the one, I created, I gave her the title for that one. She did, I was telling you, you know, this, you've got to come up with a better one than this one. Going, no, that's actually pretty good. So I'm like, okay, we're going with that one. So I, I only, all my only work for that as an editor for her was to help her understand the flow of the story in comic book form because she doesn't do sequences a lot of pinups so i helped her get the size and look take this move it here move this here and um and she drew the captions she didn't do illustrator no she drew <laughs> all the caption where all the lettering goes in and all my so it's a piece of art all, all my all the way through all right um in my case i got three stories uh First one that which uh, tonight I'm going to be on my show. We're going to be just talking about it live uh, in about a few minutes. It's um it's called Jaco. It's Jaco in dying to escape from little Bonsru. Um, that is my homage to 80s and 90s movies, action movies. That's why the title "Dying to Escape" goes from "Dying for Die Hard," "Escape from Escape from New York," from little little, little big trouble in little China, on little Bonsru. Well, Bonsru being a combination of Buckaroo Banzai and the adventures in the eighth dimension. So those are like my favorite movies. And I thought, you know, I'll make this story based off Jack the Giant Killer. And it has a lot of action, guns, firing, explosions, all going on for that wild ride for 10 pages. My second story is um, my daughter came up with the title. Um, it's based off the, the wolf in sheep's clothing. And basically the pitch of the, the idea is that what happens when you have to go out and you're hungry, you got to go out into the world that it's a not safe place for you to find food. Well, you, you order takeout. Well, then what's the takeout? Well, that one is an interesting one because my original pitch is not what came out. <laughs> I actually pitched a different idea. And then when I sat down to, re to write it all and discuss it with the artist, I was like, you know what? I got a better idea. Let's do this. And I had to go over to the editor. Yo, I changed the idea. <laughs> is this still acceptable? And goes like, yes, it's good. I like it more. Okay, so that one is actually pretty interesting because I let me see if I can pull it up real quick here. Um, well, we have we have like two minutes left. So okay, but anyway, the the point is that okay, 
And I got a third story, which is more about the socialist seculorum, which is about a topic which is up nowadays, uh, something very, very modern about it. So uh, if you want to go, go to notsofairtales.com. You can sign up for a, uh, the free preview. That way you'll get notified. If you go to my Instagram, uh, it's uh, at art underscore by underscore Kike. I have a link there. It'll take you to the same preview pages. You can go to my page. My I have preview pages of my stories up on my uh, my website. And you can go to the Kickstarter to get notified. So as soon as it comes up, you can take advantage of those five bucks off. You can get a good deal and grab the book on May 31st. And I'll be having in, guests on my show for the next few months. So we'll be involved, we're involved in the project. All right. So we are almost out of time. So we got to do our final thoughts. So Dominic, do you have a final thought? Go support this gentleman. <laughs> Enrique, your final thought in uh, 30 seconds or less? Uh, 30 seconds or less. Thank you for having me here again. Um, independent art is in uh, comics are great. Give us a try. And I'm telling you, you will get the best value for your money through us. Either me or anybody else. All right, so my final thought is this, Enrique, um, thank you for coming on the show. I, I've only known you for a year and a half. Last year doesn't count. Um, you're a really cool guy. I love your work and a much continued success. And I do want to quickly mention that, as you mentioned before, you do have your own um, a podcast called Inking with Kike. Uh, so make sure you guys go check that out. It, what, what time is it? Is it 8 o'clock every Wednesday? 8 o'clock every Wednesday. Tonight I'm doing an exception because of the show. We're doing it at 8.30. And every once in a while, I'll pop up a few extra shows on Monday and when and uh, for when other artists want to do Kickstarters and stuff on, uh, on there. So if you got a Kickstarter coming out and stuff, contact me. Uh, we'll we'll see if I can help you in there. All right. So that's it for this week on the Came from the Radio. Join us right here and every week on this radio station. If you miss any part of the show, tough. <laughs> Thank you, Dominic. Go to www.kingfromradio.com. Listen to the archives up in a week or so. Um, make sure you guys go check out the East Metal Public Library. Um, like I said, it's www.eastmetal.info. Um, our next live show will be on June 9th. It'll be our 45th live show, and we will have guests. Uh, TropicCon event coordinator Patrick Madden is going to be our guest. So make sure you guys go to www.eastmetal.info, and we will see you next week. You've been listening to It Came From The Radio with Mark Torres. The views of the show's hosts and guests did not necessarily reflect that of the management, owners, or staff of the station. We now return you to your earthly scheduled broadcast. <laughs> <laughs>